Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from our orphanage here in 2019. I am one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Hiscove. And with us today to talk about Cider House Rules mm-hmm. is Eric Anderson, the founder and, yeah. Yeah. and editor of AwardsWatch.com, a site I have gone to forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> a man who has, unbeknownst to him... Taken me through Oscar seasons for years and years and years. So thank you for all that, and thank you for joining our show. Uh, awesome! I'm really I'm excited to be here. I'm I I love this year. So yeah, there's a lot to talk about. You love uh, you love 1999 primarily uh, because of Cider House Rules. <laughs> uh, it's a hundred percent. It's it's pretty much like ninety nine percent everything else, or you know, Cider House Rules and one percent everything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One percent all about my mother. I understand. Yeah, no, that's, that's, fair. that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I have to say, um, this movie left basically no impression on me in '99, and uh, deeply forgettable movie. Um, that watching it again yesterday, I was just in '99. I did not appreciate, nor did I think about how deeply problematic this movie is in terms of what it's saying or not saying nobody thought about that like nobody thought about nobody it. thought about it people thought this was a progressive movie yeah people thought this this i mean eric i'm just gonna jump right in <laughs> this is um this is deeply flawed and deeply backwards in two regards that really have come 
clearer in the last few years. As I said to Phil, this is an abortion movie told from the point of point of view of two men. And this is an exploited labor movie told from the point of view of a white person. It's also kind of a, a, a movie about incest that doesn't really, that kind of makes the, the, Inc- the father like not that bad. Well, the, the rapist. End. It's a movie, yeah, about, sorry, rape. It's a movie yeah. about rape yeah. Where, yeah. The, where the only black character who's redeemed in any way is the it's rapist. rapist. <laughs> it's and, kind of incredible that this movie exists. And yet, this was the sensible person's <laughs> choice. For, well, all right. So I want I do, I do think that I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Kenny. No, it's okay. Cause I was about to get to the Oscars. So let's keep talking about this movie. Cause it, it, it does feel to me like I, I, so yesterday I went and looked at all the movies that Miramax released in 1999. <laughs> and because as, as Griffin Newman, so aptly put it in the previous week on our podcast that Harvey Weinstein had a parking space. He had a slot. One of Miramax's movies was getting nominated for Best Picture for basically anywhere from five to ten years. Much longer than that. Maybe, sorry, okay. Yeah. I think you could basically say from uh, – again, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're talking around 94, around when Pulp Fiction crashed the Oscars. Well, you got Crying Game? Am I right? Right in 93, right? Is that yeah. right, Eric? So right 90, around yeah, then, early 90s, up until The Imitation Game. Right, because the imitation game really was that last like gasp. Yeah, that la- it was almost dirty campaigning at the end. Honor the film, honor the man. Um, <laughs> yeah, like really, yeah. like kind of like it was kind of something really icky about that campaign. But we're you're talking about twenty five years at this point, right? Long, yeah, especially talking- since it was such a lousy 20. representation of him in the movie. Yeah, that's true. That I mean that that's a whole other thing. I mean that. Yeah, I I have to say that. And this is sort of a bigger conversation, which I which I hope we can get into on on the flip side. And in, in part two of this episode, uh, for, you know, for our listeners, we're we're going to focus on the 1999 Oscars for part two, and really kind of do a deep dive into all those nominations and why certain things were nominated and why certain things weren't. Um, so we'll get into that sort of on that side. But it is interesting how progressive, and I, I guess I put that in quotation marks, Miramax presented itself as making these movies that were saying, you know, that were, that were doing deep dives into real issues. And then you watch this movie, and this movie is, in my opinion, <laughs> desperately trying not to offend. Like, it's it's grappling with with heady issues, as we were just saying, but not really. Like, is this really a movie about abortion? Not really. It is. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It is. So it's... the. What you're kind of talking about is interesting to me. It's yeah. it absolutely is a movie about abortion, and it absolutely is a movie about exploited labor, and it also yeah. has its politics in the right place to some extent. This movie isn't so much about flawed politics; it's about flawed p- point of view, mm-hmm. right? It's about who gets to tell the stories, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that's happened in the last few years that, that I think we've noticed more than anything, which is basically. You know, I bring up Kramer versus Kramer all the time, but I think Kramer versus Kramer is the quintessential example of the wrong point of view in a story. Divorce yes, is not yes. the story of divorce and being left alone and being single parent in America is not the story of the dad, it's the story of the mom. And for the only Oscar movie about divorce um to be from the father's point of view is a is a flaw in representation. It's not balanced. It's well yeah. oh right, yeah. right. And in this this movie's case, to have the kind of the premier movie about abortion, about abortion rights, to be from the point of view of an abortion-providing doctor, which is wonderful, but also that's not the perspective 
from which we should view the uh, the the issue of pro choice and pro life in this country is fucked up. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's and I think that that's something people in 1999 really didn't understand because we were so firmly entrenched, firmly entrenched in the both the male gaze and it's not really a term, but really like the white gaze, right? Seeing everything from a white male perspective. On the toxic masculinity that we've talked about as well. Over and over and over again. So that it's, it's not so much that I I fault the movie in the moment. um, But I do think we can look back critically and say, this really is representative of a time in Hollywood when Hollywood didn't understand how to tell other people's stories that didn't look like the various studio heads in this. I would, I would agree. I mean, I I think that, you know, there's kind of a lot to unpack here. Um, but before we get to all of that, let's uh, let's talk to Eric um, about Eric. So where were you in in, in, uh, in 1999? This is Eric on Eric. Yeah. <laughs> let's see. This is this would have been like the height of my uh, like film school time and and working at at video stores. So I was I was in my head. Uh, like the biggest know-it-all. So, you know, something like Cider House Rules comes down uh, the pike and I'm like, fuck this movie. This is ridiculous. What is this this babble? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, especially when you look at the other things that 99 had to to offer. Um, But yeah, that's a... And this is like after a great year. Of, like this is December. This movie is coming out. You've got like a whole flood of yeah. great movies that came out all year. What it's, were the movies yeah. that you really loved from '99? Oh my god! It's I I I never hesitate to say that I think '99 is uh, the best year of film in my lifetime, other than maybe like 1974. I think it was. I think it's an embarrassment uh, of of riches of how great film was that year yeah. there's about my mother and magnolia and boys don't cry um fight club for different reasons than you know maybe <laughs> other other people that's a that's a really complicated movie also to unpack because i think your perspective and point of view uh depends on the reason you like that movie we're a little afraid yeah. to do that podcast you know we the 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 premise of this podcast is we're gonna do every single movie that came out in 1999 um and you know that real really without any prejudice whatsoever so a movie like fight club and the matrix right now Mm -hmm. um for the same reason they've been co-opted by some groups that uh that that make some people (laughs) uncomfortable and it'll be Mm -hmm. interesting i don't i don't know we 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 talk about those movies a lot how exactly to go at them they've been they've been they've been had so many times by so many different podcasts and and long form journalism etc but uh it does feel like they've been sort of there's been a lot of bites at those apples so we're trying to kind of figure out a yeah. new way into it um, I, I i think maybe maybe just not even talking about, <laughs> about them yeah. because yes they are you know movies that are big highlights of that year but i think if you want to if you want to go and explore like you said earlier different points of view and points of view that that are maybe more interesting then go for things like election. Oh, we're or, oh we're doing it. We're doing them all. Yeah, we, no, I mean that, we're doing Dudley. We did Dudley Do Right, by the way. <laughs> snubbed. <laughs> I'm I'm obsessed with this year. I can't, I can't even deal with how good this year. I swipe shut. I mean Iron Giant. I I can't. Yeah, I, it's I it's it's the best year 
ever. Yeah, we we I mean it's we feel very lucky. I don't I don't want to speak for Kenny, but you, I, I you feel should very see lucky. our faces right now. We look like two really proud parents. We're just it's it's. It, <laughs> I think it's just uh, you know this the, not just the spectrum of movies that that were covered, but uh, that that were released. That is in '99, but it's also just it's it's allowing me and Kenny to sort of watch movies that we didn't even think of watching in 1999 and realizing these wonderful little gems that were made in ways that you just, you know, Kenny mentions Dudley do right. And obviously he was kidding, but not kidding. Like that movie is surprisingly great. And it's just not a movie that anyone even gave, gave a shot back then and a movie that would never even get released today. And I think that that's the thing that hits us maybe the most, or at least has hit me the most over these, uh, over the 60 some odd episodes we've done so far is just the breadth and how narrow it is now. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's maybe the most disappointing thing. I, I think it's important to acknowledge too, that uh cider house rules came out the same day as Deuce Bigelow, male Jiggle. <laughs> yes. Well, you know. which, which is a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> Arguably. Arguably which, a better movie. Which no, we've already done Deuce Bigelow <laughs> and Deuce Bigelow. Deuce Bigelow is, is also a problematic movie, but less problematic. In a different than way. This movie In a different way. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, I, I was less offended by Deuce Bigelow. I, I be partially because, and here's the ridiculous, you know, the ridiculousness of this podcast. I will, I will critically compare Deuce Bigelow and Cider House Rules right now. Do it. Deuce Bigelow intended to offend and didn't quite even reach that level with me. Whereas this movie intended to kind of caress me, right? <laughs> this movie wanted to just kind of, kind of gently rock me back into the back into Maine, and in, I think what the nineteen. 1950- Fifties, forties. That's a good question. I was, I wasn't sure. Uh, I, I want to say, I want to say, late forties, early fifties, just based on the cars. This is supposed to be an easy watch, right? To some extent, yeah. Which is part yeah. of the fucking problem. Which is actually, it actually is an easy watch. It, but the music but, is beautiful. And it's it beautifully shot. And it, yeah. it look, I mean, I, it, it's. I agree with you. It is totally. It, it, it has all the hallmarks of of everything that the the nineties Weinstein era was. And remember, this is only this is the very next year after Shakespeare in Love. So the that's true. The idea of 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 what the next uh, Miramax movie was going to be that was going to be an Oscar contender was a big was a big deal, and that that's that happens every year. You know when you've got yeah. either a new studio or you know this a surprise when you're like okay cool so what are you going to do next? Yeah, like with Barry Jenkins this year, there he really exactly. had a lot of pressure to to uh, follow up. So did Damien Chazelle. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and. Quaron and Steve McQueen and yeah, all of them. I, I think you, I want to just mm-hmm. touch on the point that you made earlier about Cider House Rules and its perspective and point of view and how safe that it is. I, I think what happens a lot of times and certainly happened with this movie, even, even in 99, I mean, we can, we can certainly <clears throat> hindsight the shit out of this movie now. <laughs> oh, and we will. And we will. <laughs> but, um, but even even in nine, uh, 99, the point of view of it is so safe about subjects and topics that are extremely volatile that it, it, it does end up being much more offensive by not having a not having a real stake in anything. And, you know, I wouldn't hesitate yeah. for a moment to say that, you know, it's basically the, the green book of of ninety nine. We have to talk about Green Book, obviously. I, I, I do think that has to happen on this portion this of the podcast. This portion, for sure, for sure. Because, as Phil said, this is um, this is the week before the – it's actually the Wednesday before the Oscars. But, um, I, I mean, 
Green Book, Green, Green, Green Book, weirdly, has become an extremely hard movie to talk about. It uh, has. To some extent. Not for me. Let's, well, <laughs> let's, let's, let's do it. Touche. I, no, I mean, I'm, I, I feel the way you feel, I think. But um, I don't know. Let's talk about it. Because I think, uh, I, I think the big difference between Green Book and Cider House Rules in terms of the culture is um, nobody was really offended by Cider House Rules. Nobody really. No, not at no. all. And nobody really understood. I remember this very. This, I was obviously in, the, in kind of the height of my my film watching at mm-hmm. this moment, um, and was very obsessed with the Oscars. And I, I, I kind of distinctly remember the the stalking horse that was Cider House Rules taking over all of my favorite movies. Yeah. Um, American Beauty, I knew would wouldn't get nominated. Everyone knew that, that would get nominated, but I was holding out for Magnolia, being John Malkovich. Um, there may there might have been other ones, but uh, really, it was really being John Malkovich that was like my heart and soul that year. Mm-hmm. And I think that essentially finished sixth, you yeah. know, because yeah. Spike Jones got nominated for its director and won best uh, original screenplay. screenplay. So uh, did it win? It it did. did. It did, right? Eric? No, it didn't. Originally no, went no, to American, American Beauty. American Beauty. Did. What a mess! Can you believe the two movies that won this year for a screenplay? Because this one best I know, adapted. I know. Um, I so you, you well, I want, I want to talk the grossest win of, I want to talk John Irving in a bit too. Cause I, 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 anyway, well, we will have to, but I, I distinctly remember that stalking horse vibe of, and then I remember mm-hmm. it getting nominated and there being a serious conversation about which movie is going to win American beauty or cider house rules. Yep. It went from number five in my head to number two. What, by the time the Oscars came out. So I don't think anybody really felt like this was a problematic choice. I felt like this was the anecdote. Um, to the problematic choice that was American Beauty. I agree with that. Um, I agree with that. I mean, I think that, I mean... It, which, by the way, is problematic. Don't get me wrong, but... There is something very strange about how hot buttony this movie is, and yet it's and yet it was safe. Do, do you know, I, I know that's an inarticulate way of putting it, but that idea that, like, if this movie was released today, in its current form, just the way that it is, would it be... Would it be Green Book? Like, would we be having... I, I just don't know if we'd be having the same conversation. Only if people thought it was good. Fair. This would be, this would be ignored today. You think so? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I don't know. I don't... Mm, I don't know. That's, <laughs> don't it, know. that's tough because every movie has to be looked through the lens of its own year. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, something with as, as many problematic points of view as that movie has on abortion and and uh jim crow it's you want to think that we're in a a different place yeah but but we're not (laughs) as 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 politically and socially we can see in front of us and as a movie as regressive as green book can is and is in the position that that it's in. But the crazy thing about Green Book and Cider House Rules is Cider House Rules made eighty eight million dollars in this country. Correct. Twenty years ago. So what's that? On a 24 million dollar budget. I mean. So well, Cider House Rules was a huge hit. Yeah. Green Book's not a hit. Yeah, that's world worldwide. It's almost it's it's almost actually identical to 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 Green Book right now. Oh really? Same budget. Right. Yeah, budget. The budget for Green Book I think was like twenty three million. Uh, the Cider House Rules Gross in '99 yeah. was 57, okay, and 
Yeah. Green Book is getting close to that. And it's it's a modest hit, but it's not the 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 rousing crowd pleaser that the the advertising kept trying to push. It was winning like audience awards and it won Toronto's yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. People's Choice Award. Yeah. But you know, it's not like it's a hundred million dollar hit. No, it's not. I think had it been a bigger box office success. Green Book. Yes. I think it I, I think it would be the movie to beat. I, I think now I'd be surprised if it wins anything short of Mahershala Ali winning. Who fucking knows this year? I don't know. <laughs> not to not to get into it so soon, but yeah. who knows? These I I I, I, I wouldn't put Bohemian Rhapsody and Black Panther on the list of possible winners, but like I, I don't, I don't think so. No. But everything else, I would put on the list of possible winners. Which is, I remember last year there were five, I think, movies that I think had a real shot. I think there were six, mm. maybe not Vice, but maybe five. Yeah, what, I mean, last year, last year I think there were five. I, I thought there were five that had a real shot by the end. I think I, there were only two that had a real shot, and I went even outside of that to pick a third. What did you pick as potential thought, winners for Best Picture? Yeah, well, at the only things that it, that I felt had a, a real chance were three billboards in Shape of Water, but I was looking at Get Out as a super subversive pick to to follow Moonlight. But you know, I should have used my own you know <laughs> spidey senses and and decades of Oscar watching to realize that. Even even though each year is its own, and each year brings new Academy members, it's still a group that often makes really dramatic pendulum swings uh, with what they pick. And sometimes they they get into this idea where okay, we've picked uh, the movie about racism, we've picked the movie about uh, uh, LGBTQ characters. We don't yeah. really need again anytime soon and you know you can look at their history and it's the evidence is there so i probably should have just stuck with you know shape of water versus three billboards in that sense you know i i I think i had a pretty similar uh headspace into last year pick shape of water i I thought shape of water was going to win but i i mean but we we did this early we did i you know i i don't know last year was we, it was an embarrassment of riches last year, I thought, in terms of – last year I thought was a, a really tremendous year for, for mm-hmm. movies. There was a, a bunch of great movies. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, not so much. So, wow, that's just a great year. But well, I think every year is a great year. I never understand when people say, this was a terrible year for movies. I'm like, well, then you only saw like five movies. Well, okay. Let me rephrase. And that that's fair. That's fair. Because <laughs> I, I have I have a friend who also said a similar thing to me the other day. Uh, I was texting with him and he was like, I saw a bunch of great movies this year. I guess what I mean is um, high profile studio movies or, or, you know, that sort of ilk, I found this year a little bit lacking. I felt like they didn't really... Uh, and, and again, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's not dissimilar to the amazing year that was 99. We all know how the development process works in this town. And sometimes you just have a sort of a a glut of great stuff that kind of comes out all at once. And then sometimes you have a bunch of things that it's not to say that I can't find 10 movies that I liked this year, but it's more about the fact that it was a little harder for me this year than it was last year. Well, I'm just looking at last year's nominations. Last year's nominations were incredibly diverse, mm-hmm. and I don't. I'm not talking about from a representation standpoint. I'm talking about from a um, 
from a subject matter standpoint, a tone standpoint, a genre standpoint, all of these movies are so different from each other. I, I don't have exactly the same feeling about this year. That's, I think that's, I think we're saying the same They're thing. not quite, yeah. I mean, like Black Panther is ex- an extremely exciting nomination yeah. in and of itself, but kind of outside that they do kind of mostly, and I might be missing some, mostly seem to fit um, within the context of Oscar movies this year. Is that fair? Well, I, I would say yes and no. And and the reason is because I think the definition of an Oscar movie is morphing and changing every year mm-hmm. because Black Panther would never be considered an Oscar movie. Um, something like Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody are, but not in a contemporary sense. Those are those are Oscar movies from a different era that just have popped up here even though then maybe they shouldn't. Well, you know, I think it's, I, I think it's interesting what you just said about how like black Panther doesn't necessarily speak, doesn't, doesn't feel like a best picture nominee. Um, but then I also say to myself, like, you know, the Lord of the Rings movies, three years in a row, three best picture nominations, return of the King sweeps the Academy Awards. It, it's, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I think it's interesting the line that we draw in the sand between a Black Panther and a Lord of the Rings. Well, the, the Lord of the Rings is its own unicorn. There's one other example of that to me, which is Mad Max Fury Road, where these just mm-hmm. sure. these is just unicorns kind of pop, pop up within their own. I don't really know if there's a, a, a Mad Max genre, but with within their own kind of big budget, mm-hmm. big studio genre, yeah, that take the Academy by storm. I mean, um. A lot of great movies, like some of the Harry Potters, for instance, weren't even considered, which I think are better than the Lord of the Ring movies. So I'm, I'm not disputing that. So I, <laughs> so I do think that so, sometimes um, it, the the Black Panther nomination isn't so crazy to me. It's just very unusual. I mean, it's, it, it's yeah. only it's only crazy because it hasn't happened. But things like like that and, and Lord of the Rings or Mad Max, for for a genre film, it has to. It has so many more obstacles to totally. o- to overcome than than something traditional uh, in order to be the, the the first of its kind to do that. And, and Get Out uh, falls into that category too. Yeah, if Get Out was not a, a massive blockbuster, it w- probably would not have had the same trajectory. Um, obviously, I think if Bohemian Rhapsody wasn't the moneymaker that it was, we wouldn't even be talking about it. Eric, let's, could we just talk about it? Do you have any, do you have uh, any, do you, do you, just, cause I think this, I think this, this podcast can kind of be a shadow, uh, weird ass nomination podcast. What you happened? You don't want to tell you what's rules? I, I, I do desperately At want to talk point, about that garbage yeah. movie. But what, um, what, how is, what, what's going on with Bohemian Rhapsody? I, I've, I've never in my entire life. Seriously. I can't remember. I mean, Oh God! I mean, what? Literally, since like Doctor Doolittle was nominated, I can't remember a movie that was critically maligned the way this movie was that was even nominated. It's it's I it still is blowing my mind, and it's 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 something that we're going to come back to over and over again in <clears throat> future years because it is yeah such. A wretched film and it's yeah and it's so just poorly made it is a poorly made absolutely cookie cutter hilariously bad biopic 
It's I I, made I have by, to be honest made by a very bad. Well, there's man. that 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 goes absolutely without saying. On top of all of this, like we're I about to talk about a very yet, bad so. man in Harvey Weinstein. Wait, who has been Harvey Weinstein or Brian, Brian Singer? Singer? We're yeah. about to talk about a very oh, yeah, bad sorry, man, sorry. Or, we, or we've been talking about a very bad man who's been rightfully exiled from Hollywood and hopefully will go to jail. Everybody knows and has known know. for fucking decades what Brian Singer does. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, it the. Look at me. So, <laughs> if only so, you could so, see Ken's yeah. face. So, so I don't know. You're apoplectic. I, I, he kind of is. I really am floored by it. I'm floored by I it from too. the. I'm floored by it contextually, and I'm floored by it uh, metatextually. Yeah. Um. I really am, sh- and I'm shocked that I'm shocked that it won the Golden Globe. I I think that there's something. I think there's it's a real turning point for the Golden Globes and how irrelevant they are now. Um. It's funny that if a star is born, won the Golden Globes, it would be considered the 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 front runner, I think, right now won the best drama Golden Globe. Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody at, did the opposite of the Golden Globe. It basically um, shuttered it off to irrelevance for the rest of its history. Well, it does feel like A Star Is Born, and and correct me. I mean, I obviously want to hear your thoughts on this too, Eric. But there, there's a part of me that feels like A Star Is Born had all of the like juice. It had all of the wind at its back. It came out. People were talking about it. <clears throat> People really liked it. Uh, it felt like the movie. And then I don't know why it lost steam. I don't quite know why it just kind of started to just lose its people. Just, I don't know. Like it just didn't, you have to wonder whether or not a star is born. If it's released in December, we're not really having this conversation. What happened? You know, the, the mid October release. I don't know. It's a, this is another thing that we'll be talking about with future Oscar races. And that is what happened to a star is born. Um, <clears throat> although I never had it as, as winning a lot of other people were like, a star is born is your front runner. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> um, it's, it's, I think, I think a few things happened to it. Uh, it was originally supposed to come out in May. It would have been the opener for the Cannes film festival. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, the word of mouth on it, both from from test screenings and from people in the industry, was through the roof. It was like huge. So Warner Brothers looked at that and thought, you know what? Let's take this into the award season instead of the summer season. And in theory, it was it was the right plan. That was also a, a really economically produced studio film was like 30 36 million dollars and it's over 200 million in the u.s it is a huge success it's the only film of this entire award season that hit every single guild all of them the only film it's not going to win a single one (laughs) you don't think it wins anything oh oh, you're talking about the guilds he's talking about yeah Yeah. shallow's gonna win yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but you're saying yeah. it's not going to win and a single Guild Award, which is amazing. Like weirdly up in the air. But yeah, no, yeah, it, it, hit, it hit every single uh, possible, except for, you know, visual effects, but that doesn't count. Um, but then, you know, Bradley Cooper just lost first-time director at the DGA last night, which totally just to, put to the Bo nail Burnham, in right? Yeah, to Bo Burnham, yeah. To Bo Burnham, wow. which is not a bad thing. No, I loved Eighth Grade. I thought it was great. Eighth Grade is great, but I, I mean, I love Stars Born too. I really I love a Star Born. Outstanding. I, I do. Think, I think I, what there, there's to Cooper me, there's no did. question. Yeah, it, it's it my amazing. Movie. Yeah. It's it's a it's a great film, but 
I think what happened to it is that movies, especially when it comes to award season and stuff, are going to fall into the category of being respected or passionate. And A Star is Born is clearly respected across all the guilds. But there isn't passion for it the way that there is for other other films. And so it's it's just the it's it's the one that everybody likes but nobody loves. It's the middle child. Which I mean and and forgive me, but we're going to pivot to Cider House Rules here a little bit because that does sort of speak to Cider House Rules as well. It feels like the film first and foremost we should talk about Harvey Weinstein, but it does it does feel like he was Miramax was getting a nomination. And the only other film that I, after looking at the list of Miramax films that came out in 99, the only other film that they were associated with that had a shot was Talented Mr. Ripley. But that was oh. like a, a weird co-pro, which I adore, yeah. Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh my God, I love that movie so much. So That t- is the only other big movie. It's so interesting. They really just, they didn't have anything. When when people tell the story of, the, of Hollywood in the 90s. Yeah. You know, regardless of Harvey Weinstein, it's often the story of how Miramax led the charge against the studios, Mm -hmm. took over the film industry with um, intellect and insight, and created a whole new kind of movie that was respected and then eventually could make money at the box office. Mm -hmm. Um, For Harvey Weinstein to have such a small footprint in this year um, is kind of shocking to me. When it also, to your point earlier, Eric, coming off of... They finally won Best Picture, you know, so they win for Shakespeare in Love, which was a shock. But for the I, most part. I absolutely love that movie. I mean, I, yeah. I like that movie, but everyone expected Saving Private Ryan to yeah. win. And they win in 98. And to your point, Eric, what's the follow up, right? What, what are you going to mm-hmm. come back with? And I, I'm looking at this list of their 99 movies. And truthfully, I mean, it's a bunch of, of either acquisitions which is which you know that was their game, which is buying stuff out of film festivals and what have you, and then you've got you know music of the heart. You have Princess Mononoke. Well, they're uh, dimension movies too, right? Yeah. But it's it's Saturday's Rules, like it's Saturday's Rules, and it's Town to Mr. Ripley, and and my guess is that they only had international distribution. It was a co-production with Mirage and and Paramount Pictures, Paramount yeah. having it domestically. Um, I don't know if it was <clears throat> if English Patient had something to do with it. I, I don't know, but. That didn't feel like a Miramax movie. Talented Mr. Ridley yeah. didn't feel like a Miramax movie? I mean, I don't movie. know. It didn't seem like... I mean, they, they put all their money on Saturday's Rules is what it felt like to me. I mean, obviously, and then it, it worked um, out. I, I'm not sure. I, I think I think it did, and I, I, I think it does. <clears throat> I think the... I think how, at least how I look at it and, and certainly look at this season mm-hmm. um, is that when when you are... A, a Miramax and you're looking at your two main awards contenders insider house rules and talented Mr. Ripley. Mm-hmm. You've got cider house rules, which has some pretty good Oscar bona fides with Leslie Hellstrom and, <clears throat> and my, <clears throat> excuse me, and Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. You have a, traditionally respected novel from John Irving. So you've got a lot of things behind it that make a lot of sense. You have a relatively safe film. Yeah. Um, It might not be the best picture winner, but it is, you know, it's, it's like on a reality show where you can either be in the top, the bottom or safe. And, 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 and sometimes you, you 
you make your week just to be safe. And it's kind of like that. And then you have Talented Mr. Ripley, which is a film with a gay lead. Yeah. Uh, and in 99, and there is a really amazingly exceptional uh, element to this year because you also have Boys Don't Cry mm-hmm. and you also have American Beauty. And all about my mother. And all about my mother. And I think as an executive and as a, as a studio, you are looking at your, the, the thing, the thing that's going to get you across the finish line easier. And I think it was going to be a more difficult time for something like talented Mr. Ripley. Um, although, you know, it's 99. So being a self-hating gay was like still super okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, and, and murderous and all that, whatever. Uh, so it's, I, I, I have to think that they, as, as well as the, the film still did, it did, it did fine nomination wise. Um, you know, it, it, it fell short in best picture. And I, and I think that was a component to it. I mean, it, it, it certainly feels like, I, it's it certainly feels as though they backed the safer horse to be yeah. sure um but i also don't feel as though it's crazy to me now in 2019 to look at these two films side by side and say that talented mr ripley is the quote-unquote riskier film you know what i mean which and i understand you have to think about it in 99 um but i also wonder if they didn't stand to make as much money off of Ripley. You know, I wonder if it is a, a, a bank book decision as well, where they say to themselves, like, we're going to get rich off of Ciderhouse rules. We're not going to get rich off of Ripley. I want to throw one other kind of idea in about Ciderhouse rules. Ciderhouse rules, to me, in my memory, wasn't considered safe. Abortion right. was still yes. very taboo. And I remember hearing what it's about, you know, like – Kind of an analog for me is is a million dollar baby, sure. Where you know here Hillary Swank is signing up for a female boxing movie, Clint Eastwood. I basically think I'm getting female Rocky, um, and that's not what I got. I, when I sat in the theater, that's what I thought I was. I knew right. nothing about that. And, and yeah, and and it, and it hits you with this shocking kind of midterm midpoint term. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Um, <laughs> this movie, to some extent, had a little bit of that DNA for me when I said I remember sitting down to watch it at home. Um, after the award, so probably in two thousand or some some point, and having a, having a little bit of a little bit of an illicit quality to it. Hmm. I don't remember movies really? that looked like this that dealt with those subjects. So I, it's not really a pushback as much as just kind of a. Um, I think that this was treated in ninety nine as part of the movement and not pushing against the movement. Part of the movement movement towards. Hmm more interesting, more inclusive, more progressive, more transgressive type movies. And it's only now, or maybe it was two years later, but for me, it's only now that it seems so regressive and so anti-inclusion and so out of whack when it comes to POV um, that it's kind of startling to see just how backwards I think we all were at the time. Oh, I, by, we, it, by it, we all, I mean, I mean the, the kind of the industry, sure. but yeah. And the yeah. audience. 
It's I, I I think it's it it tried to balance its subject uh, subjects. It's very volatile subjects with <clears throat> really beautiful music, really beautiful cinematography, and in a way, and that that's a part of its safeness. Um, this totally. is not a this sure. is not a gritty, grainy exploration of abortion and uh, uh, incest and and african-american labor it's a very very pretty look at all of those things so that you can feel socially responsible but also very secure oh absolutely like like green book yeah Yeah. um well let's let's dive into ceteris rules uh i'm gonna just give a brief synopsis of the film uh homer wells played by toby mcguire is taught medicine by the doctor at an orphanage of saint clouds uh, where he is brought up. However, when he clashes with his mentor, played by Michael Caine, over the issue of abortion, he leaves the home and finds work on a cider farm. There, he falls in love with another man's girlfriend, played by Charlize Theron, uh, but starts to reevaluate his principles when one of the farm workers becomes pregnant by her own father. Uh, the Cider House Rules opened on December 10th, 1999, as we mentioned, uh, with $110,000 it was platformed, uh, and would go on to make $88 million on a $24 million budget worldwide. Cedarhouse Rules has seventy one percent on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and seventy seven percent from audiences. That's that's surprisingly low. Yeah, twenty nine percent of the critics weren't fooled. Good for them. I am. Um, I'm going to read a brief, uh, two brief uh, portions from two reviews that I think probably will, will give us some stuff to talk about. Roger Ebert uh, gave the film two and a half stars. Said this results. Uh, this film results in a controversial pro choice stance on abortion. Uh, said Variety, or it makes the men the arbiters of what happens for women's body, said Amy Tauburn in The Village Voice. James uh, Berardinelli, sorry, uh, leading web critic, thinks it provides a reasonably balanced perspective on the on the debate. But Peter Brunette, another leading web critic, doesn't even mention Homer's doubts, nor does The New York Times. If I had to choose, this is Ebert, I'd vote for Tobin, who notes that Dr. Larch, who performs an abortion on request, but Homer believes is justified only in cases of rape or incest, not unknown in this movie, a larger question remains. Why... Is such why is there such a muddle about this movie's subject? I left the theater wondering what the movie thought it was about and what it was unable to say. It's almost deliberately unfocused. It shows us many events without guiding them gu- guiding them to add up to anything definite. The Sutterus Rules is often absorbing or enchanting in its parts. Michael Caine's performance is one of his best, and Charlize Theron is sweet and direct as the girl. But Tobey Maguire is almost maddeningly monotone as Homer. Uh, and the movie never does resolve its ambiguity towards Mr. Rose, who is guilty of incest and yet somehow murkily not entirely a monster. The story touches many themes, lingers with some of them, moves on, and arrives at nowhere in particular. It's not a story so much as a reverie about possible stories. Which I think is a pretty fair That's review. It's one of his best. It's one of his best reviews. Now, The Guardian, I'm going to very briefly read this. The Cedrus Rules is a very odd, gluttonous, sentimental drama, like an episode of The Waltons about incest, rape, and abortion. (laughs) Revisiting it now, five months after its UK premiere at the London Film Festival, it just seems odder than ever, jam-packed with incoherent moral positions, bungling with pseudo-issues, and all rendered entirely inarticulate by its own choked-up tearfulness. 
a good two hours consisted almost literally of churning, emoting, self-regarding gibberish. The movie tackles abortion or does it? Homer starts the film sternly pro-life and bitterly opposes the abortions Dr. Large carries out. In the end, some tough experiences in the real world turn his opinions around, but this conversation is glib and shallow with nothing at stake emotionally or dramatically. In the end, all these themes are disposed of in a favor of a weird, feel-good atmosphere. Maybe Halstrom and Irving were striving for eccentric humanist optimism, but the effect is evasive, unwholesome, and deeply creepy. Both are true. <laughs> both both of those, are true. Both of those reviews are both those reviews are perfect. And the, the only thing about the Ebert review is it didn't seem to, to add up to two and a half stars. It seemed to add up to a yeah, little a little something lower. I agree, or something a little lower. Excuse me. Um, and I'm sure he just didn't have the guts to do it. It's a tough thing. He gets close to just fully. I don't know. I think he, yeah. I think he was probably lulled into the elements of it that yeah. that made it you know easy. Two and a half stars but, for Ebert's pretty bad. Yeah. He, I mean, yeah. For him, I mean, that's Crash was his favorite film of 2005, so. <laughs> Poor <whatever>. guy. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace. Well, I think about it. I don't, I don't want to say any critics, but there are, there are some prominent critics. Yeah. Um, very prominent critics who I love, who rode for Green Book in the beginning. I and, liked it. I saw it. Oh, I don't. But I'm not, I mean, before any, I saw it opening weekend. You're you're not who I'm talking about, but okay. you're you're kind of who I'm talking about right now. Shit. No, no, no. There's some prominent actual critics who got paid to be critics who wrote yeah. for Green Book in the beginning. Um, and Green Book, I do think, and I think Crash actually also falls into this category. Some films require a conversation, um, mm-hmm. and don't hold up under scrutiny. And I think there are things in, in Crash, for instance, that kind of work in the micro. That when you pull out uh, are completely ridiculous and really offensive. Yeah. And I think Green Book actually works in the micro. And I think when you pull out, they're ridiculous and offensive. Um, I don't even think this movie works in the micro. I, that I think leaves it, like 10 minutes of the movie then. What's, what's that? <laughs> that leaves like 10 minutes of the movie if you just remove everything that's offensive. <laughs> I, I, I just – I really like Vigo eating. So whatever uh, Vigo, whatever Vigo p- folds a pizza, I'm just in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> should put that on the poster. Yeah, I, I like a guy who takes the big pie, folds it twice, and then eats like a, a four layer. I would have given anything for anyone to eat a pizza inside her house rules. Just, just, just something interesting to happen inside her house rules. <laughs> I, so uh, it's, it's from Italy. <laughs> I will say this though. You know, I, I left the film. I mean. Yesterday I rewatched it and and I I think there's a good movie here. This isn't a good movie, but I think that this subject matter, I think this universe, I think some of these characters, I think there's a good movie here. And I, I want to just take this opportunity to talk a little bit about John Irving, which I don't know if you guys have read any of his novels. I I, I have to I, I can't let you get get away with that comment. What? I can't let you get away with it. Well, I'm gonna it, I, there's a, a reason I'm gonna, I'm going to All right. I'm going to I have a way into this. I, I, I will. I will refrain. Um, I, I think that John Irving is is an interesting author. Um, he was w- probably my first grown up author. My dad introduced me to the world ex- according to Garp when I was I don't know probably uh, twelve or thirteen, and uh, I loved it. And I read most of his books up until that point. I could never get th- through Cider House Rules. I found it quite boring. Uh, the subject matter just was not of any interest to me. Um, the world wasn't of much interest to me. What I finished of it, which was most of it, I guess, but 
is John Irving is a man of details. He his books are long. His books are Dickensian, if you want to use that that terminology. In terms of them, just he does a deep dive into the world, and it is very. Uh, he believes in painting a broad canvas. This film can't do that to the same degree. Uh, you don't even really get much. Uh, narration, which I was surprised. It opens with narration, which is essentially lifted from Irving's book, and then it kind of drops it. Um, it doesn't feel like a particularly solid adaptation. Now, I don't know if it's... Who adapted this? He did. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My point is more, I'm not convinced it's necessarily the words on the page that are the issue with this movie. There are issues with the words on the page, to be clear. But I think part of it is in the execution. And I do think that Lasse Hallstrom is the right and the wrong choice for this film. I think that you look at his filmography, which is interesting to say the least. Yesterday I went through it and we should talk about it in, in depth. It's not as interesting as I, I, I thought it was looking back. I mean, interesting more in the sense that it's, it's very um, uh, eclectic. I, I think that it's a lot of ABBA in the early days. He did like 8 million ABBA <laughs> music yeah, he, videos. He did. He did. He did one of my favorite movies ever called, uh, my life is a dog. Sure, it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and never made a movie like it again. <clears throat> no. So it, it's it's just kind of he's an. Inter- I, I, let me rephrase. I don't think he's an interest- I don't think he's necessarily an interesting filmmaker in terms of the actual films or the output he's made necessarily. But there is something, and I've been searching for the words, and I can't seem to figure it out. And I hope you guys can. I don't know what it is about the feel of Lasse Hallstrom's movies. I'm sure it is obviously the foreign element, the sort of the the Swedish Nordic quality. There's a distance to some extent. Um, there's this. There's just an oddity to his films that makes them. I just just very strange and and th- this film needed more of that not less of it and it felt like I don't know if he was held back I don't know if he had a specific thing that he had to do I don't know but something was off here and then I'll, I'll also say like I think Chocolat is a, is a is a completely fine innocuous movie it's not a good movie it certainly shouldn't have been nominated for best picture but the one that's the most kind of glaring is the shipping news have you guys seen the shipping the, the, news? he did those three years in a row yeah and it kills me it breaks my heart <laughs> because those are just garbage films <laughs> yes those are garbage like, films. absolutely garbage films fair, and fair. pure pure oscar bait films yeah and at least they figured it out by 2001 this happens all yeah this happens all the time with great foreign language directors that hollywood wants to get their claws into And they do, and they bring them here, and they're like, cool, we totally love your aesthetic, and you're really awesome, but please make this totally sanitized bullshit piece of crap movie instead. And they do. And it worked. It's it's interesting because – all right, so I love My Life as a Dog. It's one of the the movies that makes me – made me love movies, actually. And then I'm looking at his filmography, and he made a bunch of movies that I think – aren't good. And I wonder, I wonder if it's because they are trying to tackle too much. My life is a dog is a very simple movie. It's a very simple movie about a kid growing up in Sweden. Um, he made a movie in 2009 called Hachi, a dog's tale. Has anybody seen that movie? <laughs> Eric? Yeah. That's, that's the, the Richard yeah, Gear yeah. movie. Richard Gear, Yeah. I watch, I don't, I don't, I generally, as a rule, don't watch dog movies. Don't he's, watch. He's made three of them. Don't watch this. Well, my life is a dog. It's not really a dog movie, but it's, it's got not dog in the, the title. <laughs> 
My life is talking about a boy barks, but it's <laughs> like almost nowhere to go with a dog movie. So I'm like, no, I don't need that. Do, yeah, but I, a dog's do, purpose? Eric, oh, have you have you not seen Hachi? Yes, yes, I have. Oh, because I Hachi I watched with my wife uh, and my and my dog, who was who was. <laughs> My wife, my wife was pregnant, and my dog was uh, was one or two, and we sat there literally crying into our dog's fur, <laughs> watching that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, we were we were taking turns wiping our face with our dog That's as we were bawling That's during fantastic. that movie. So I actually my my only point about Lasse Hellstrom is Hachi's an incredibly simple movie. It's an incredibly simple movie about a guy, um, a man and his dog. My Life as a Dog is an incredibly simple movie. People love Gilbert Grape. Gilbert Grape is yeah. not, not so simple, but it is a big swing, and I, I think it's pretty okay. I haven't seen it since then. I'm afraid but, to watch it now. But, um, but this is a really big swing, and it's a really big swing and a miss, but I don't agree that there's a good movie in here. I mean, okay. When I say that- I, I don't either, because if your source material is what it is, how much different can it possibly- be to turn it from that i i guess what's a movie like this that is good well i i i guess what i'm saying is i think that the i think that the universe is is interesting i i mean and i know this is gonna sound silly to say this but i found the whole cider orchard stuff interesting i thought it was it's not a world that's explored very often i thought it was an interesting universe you know there's just something about very tactile and beautiful about that world that i enjoyed i think that homer is an interesting character who is just unfortunately performed in a unbelievably boring way by a really unengaging leading man i don't particularly like toby mcguire as a leading man i like him i love the ice storm i love wonder boys i know me uh, too. pleasantville but in general i'm just like once he sort of was put on that pedestal stop liking him there's some actors he, like that who i can't stand him yeah i can't stand him either and there's some actors like that who who just kind of happen to be in some of my favorite movies like right. one, like I know there are people who are crazy about Colin Farrell. I've never liked Colin Farrell, who, who happens to be in some movies I'm crazy about. Right. All right. I'm 100% on Team Colin Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people are. And I never understand it because – whatever. I don't want to fight about Colin Farrell. But I do want to talk about <laughs> Tobey Maguire, yeah. who I, I have never liked on screen. Um, but Ever? I well, I love Wonder Boys and I love the, the Ice Storm. Storm. Yeah. I do too. But he's always the my least favorite yeah. thing about any movie that he's in. That's that's fair. I guess yeah. I, I even think, if I love yeah. the movie, I think that yeah, you know, it's funny you, you should say that. I I I think that that applies a little bit more for me with the Ice Drum than it does Wonder Boys. I think I like him more in Wonder Boys because he actually there's there's some pop to him there. I like like him. he he works in that movie. I like it more in the ice storm, but whatever. Okay. Either way, either way, we're, we're both sort of saying the same thing. And he, you know, he gets Spider-Man shortly after this movie. And, you know, I I think that (laughs) as I was doing a little bit of reading, as we all, I think those Spider-Mans, especially two, which people like tried to pretend is like a hallmark of American cinema. I think they're the most overrated movies I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean especially two i, I disagree two p i remember two was on top 10 lists uh, two is still considered one of the best superhero movies ever made yeah mm-hmm. there was i mean i think spider-man homecoming is citizen kane compared to that movie well, or or into the spider-verse i think spider-man homecoming actually is is like i love the, Spider-Man. i think it's like the platonic ideal for a superhero movie i love it so much and spider-verse is amazing but it's its own thing but, so uh, 
I want to talk about something here that fuck I think Toby. <laughs> well, it's fucked. Yes. Back to Toby and fucking Toby. I want to say this. Uh, so DiCaprio turns down the role that of Homer Wells in mm-hmm. Insider House Rules. God, that guy's so savvy. Uh, but but it also sort of leads to to the infamous pussy posse. Oh, yeah. Wow. You said it before I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and and just the these two guys like Toby in in Great Gatsby is horrible. Like he is so miscast in that movie and these two guys that are obviously still close i guess maybe i don't know they're still friends they're still Mm -hmm. and 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 there's just this odd their careers are just so strange to me both of them still feel like boys they still don't feel like men leo less than toby but but still well the best toby performance ever was uh michael sarah and molly's game (laughs) (laughs) yeah mr yeah killed it killed it he was great so i the list of people that turned down the role of Homer Wells is is apparently pretty deep. DiCaprio, Ethan Hawke, Edward Norton, Ryan Felipe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, James Franco, Jake Gyllenhaal, Paul Walker, Mark Wahlberg. I mean, everyone apparently was offered this role, which makes sense coming off of '98 that they're tr- that the that Miramax is trying to get a big name in this movie, and no one wants it. No one could have mm-hmm. shined this turd. Like no one's like, oh yeah, I I want to be in the fucking <laughs> Orchard abortion incest movie. No one wants it. Say that again. <laughs> that's how they pitched it. I, I hope that's how it was pitched. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The best orchard abortion <laughs> incest, incest movie, movie of 1999. It's not the best yeah. I've ever seen. But I want to say something else in terms of fucking Toby here a little bit. Because like, when we're on the train, let's just keep going. Charlize Theron in V Magazine uh, talked about working with Toby McGuire. Uh, and said how it was a rough time working with Toby. Uh, she said, I mean, we're good now. It was a difficult movie. Every day is completely different for completely different reasons. Whatever the weather or the writing isn't there or you don't get along with your castmate, you have to make something else that's just as powerful. She talks a little bit about how it did teach her, quite frankly, how to act. She's like, it teaches you different things. It taught me that I could fall in love with somebody on screen and not in person. God, she's the best. She is. She's the shit. She's amazing. Like, the best. And she's like, we had really intimate moments together, Toby, and I didn't feel that way about each other, so I had to figure something else out. Just it's, had to keep thinking of Paul Rudd. Can you believe Paul Rudd's in this movie, Eric? I, I can't believe that Paul Rudd looks exactly the same in this movie as he does now. <laughs> I'm true. like, how do, you, how do you fucking cheat on Paul Rudd with Toby. fucking Toby Maguire? How do you do uh, that? I... I that sex scene no. was so gross. Like like everybody else in the world, I love Paul Rudd, but I don't really like him in um in period because he has the most modern face to me of all time. Yeah, he does. I he does about that. He's got really good angles. It just it's 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 fine. I sort of I kind of feel bad for Tobey Maguire because I think Spider-Man really destroyed his career it didn't build it or help it yeah and it it didn't do him any favors at all versus you know other people that have come out of cider house rules pretty pretty well i mean he got spider-man out of it so it's not like you know but i i agree with you i i just think it when he i remember when he was cast as as uh, peter parker it was Ugh. a big deal well, and everyone really was just were like unhappy. they were really unhappy about but they it. didn't understand that it's it's not a, it's intellectually it's not bad casting yeah um, it's Toby that was the problem. Like Tom Holland, that is an amazing he's Spider-Man, obviously the, the best Spider-Man, right? But like he's, it's the same idea, you know. No, I know. So it's yeah, except yeah. Tom Holland looks and feels like high school, and Toby Maguire feels 
not. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, apparently, Matthew Broderick and Max von Sydow were announced as the leads in Cider House Rules. I don't know. Matthew Broderick in 99. That's a pretty old election. He, but he, he was in election, election as the teacher. Yeah. That doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, I know. He, he was gray. Uh, the other the other bonkers casting, apparently, was that for the role of Candy that, that Charlize ultimately played, Tori Spelling was considered. Oh, she old. just got unmasked on The Masked Singer. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. No, they went different directions, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean what? it's it's a weird <laughs> it's a weird 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 cast. I mean, you've got Kieran Culkin, Delroy Lindo, Erica Badu, who is actually quite good in this movie, and I kind of wish she acted more. She just kind of it's her first role, and she's great. Uh, J.K. Simmons shows up as a lobster guy for yeah, five seconds. I know. I was thinking of all the. I Oscars. know. I love. <laughs> I just. I, I obviously I revisited the movie. Sure. For this, and then yeah, it's funny looking at the guy like what Karen Culkin. What it's I totally just, forgot. About it's that. a weird. It's a and, weird and movie. Little baby Paz de la Huerta. Oh, Paz de la Huerta. Oh my god, that that's who that is. Oh, that's when it I is. And oh my, you, we god. can always just bring back the Weinstein connection at any point with Whoa. this. That's creepy. She's my favorite part of the movie. I don't I like her. that it's insinuated at the end that she ends up with Homer. Well, I it is strongly <laughs> insinuated. It's so funny. I mean, he. Fucking underage, underage rape is like the thing that like drove him to his more progressive viewpoint. Now he's going to go like statutory rape someone else, statutorily rape someone else. But I think her little mini arc is the only one that I could understand yeah. or appreciate in any way. I thought it was, I, I thought it was sweet. That's fair. But I mean, I guess, I, I mean, I liked their relationship. I liked Heavy D too. I just, I just wish that, <laughs> I just wish that they didn't, they didn't need, we didn't need the cherry at the end. And she could be happy that he's home, but like, I don't need her like, primping herself and getting ready and and you're thinking like wait a second are you insinuating that these two are going to be an item that was the that was the- i don't know if the phrasing of the word cherry at the end is really the right my apologies yeah <laughs> my apologies <laughs> that was the uh that was the, the that was the last moment of aquaman with nicole kidman and jason momoa's dad that's the the tear i lo- i saw yesterday aquaman so good loved it so much the movie is crazy <laughs> well it's like i said to you it's not the best but it's the most <laughs> it is the most there you go. <laughs> that movie is fucking nuts. Uh, so let's just let's let's breeze through the plot of this movie real quick and just kind of move on to things we want to talk about, like Oscars. Oh, I, got, I, just, I just well, yeah, I got so much vitriol for this movie. So um, I mean, ultimately, you know, the movie opens with Doctor Larch's narration, which is lifted, as I mentioned, directly from Irving's book, uh, where he talks about the only reason that people come to St. Cloud is either to to take a child or to leave one. Was um, the book told from Larch's perspective? If I remember correctly, it was. Actually, okay. no. I think it had a narrator. I think it had an right, omniscient. He dies, right? Yes. In the, I mean, I'm saying in the book. I believe, yes, he does. All right. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Uh, we meet Homer. He's an orphan. He grows up in a main orphanage uh, directed by, as we mentioned, Dr. Wilbur Larch. Uh, Homer's returned twice by foster parents. Um, See, nobody wants Toby Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's true. Uh, we thought we were getting Jill at all. <laughs> Um, sorry no i mean it's and then we basically find out our darker elements start to come in very early which is that larch is addicted to ether and he's secretly performing abortions but it but this information is is delineated to you in such a sort of off the cuff sort of like oh it's fine this is a sweet movie don't worry he's just a drug addict and he and he does illicit abortions it's very strange uh, and it, doesn't, it feels antithetical to Kane's performance, who is this very sort of like sweet, kindly old man. So uh, one thing about 
the notion of sweetness in this movie. Yeah. I found the orphanage stuff to be almost unspeakably sad. Um, I found the fuzzy stuff to be unspeakably sad. <laughs> like as a father of a kid who has like asthmatic issues, yeah. it's brutal to it's watch that sad. shit. And older orphans, um, kids who have basically, you know, eight, nine, 10 year olds who have given up the idea of having a, a quote unquote forever home uh, is so unbelievably sad to me that even if this were a good movie, I don't think I would have enjoyed it. But it's not. So now I can shuttle but, over. <laughs> but 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 is does doesn't that sort of speak to? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Uh, the, the the larger element of the movie where the subject matter does all of the heavy lifting rather than the actual content because yes you're right orphans are sad their existence is super sad but we already feel that that's that's it's that's lobbing a softball it's true well I mean, that's part of the point too it's it's there there's a there's a a suffering porn aspect to this. Absolutely. Right? Hell yeah. And I don't really like I don't really know like what other word to what other term to use, but there's this like Yeah, misery porn. Misery is, porn, right. That's the yeah, this misery porn aspect to this and the cider house parts as seen through the eyes of like someone who, you know, it's, the thing with Homer's character that if anybody was looking for this, uh they would have seen is God, is this is this not the most obvious um illustration of white privilege you've ever seen? This kid is a twice returned orphan with who believes he has a heart problem. He's failing and, up. He, and, and yeah, and yet <laughs> and yet every room he goes into, he is he's the most important guy. Yeah. Um, he could be directing Hollywood films. <laughs> <laughs> he's the guy who finished Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Who is that guy? It was Homer. Dexter Fletcher. Yes. And Dexter Fletcher. Yeah. Like, it sounds like a made up name. Dexter, <laughs> Dexter, Fletcher. Dexter Fletcher. I like that name. Uh, so, name. so every night, uh, Dr. Larch before bed tells the boys, good night, you princes of Maine, you kings of New England. And I know. <laughs> Did you just dry heave, Eric? Yeah. <laughs> God, I hate it's that just, so much. It really, it's so, again, it's the type of thing that works in a book and doesn't work in a movie. Well, it, 
I, it's it's listen it's a little cloying it on, works. on but it, it's just it, there's just something about it that i'm like oh god you've never it's, forgotten it's, it like that yeah. to me that's like it's the only line that anyone remembers from it this movie could have been the it could have been the worst part of a good movie yeah instead i think it's the best part of a really bad movie i'm not saying it's a good thing. yeah i i just i've never forgotten that you kings of maine you princes of new england so anything that sticks in my head at least kind of works to some extent yeah but um, but yeah, it's so cloying. It's, it's so just very cloying. Yeah, the whole thing is so. I, so I, and I I totally get that, and I think I think you're right. It is kind of you know in in a sense the best part of a bad movie, and and how do you fault you know the concept of somebody trying to make these dying orphans feel good about themselves? <laughs> you, you, you you have to. This is this is <laughs> this is why this is why general audiences hate film criticism so much because they'll they'll hear that yeah. and go you're just cynical you're horrible you're a terrible person I'm like <laughs> oh yeah but that's beside the point <laughs> that's, that's why i'm a film critic but, yeah, yeah it's, so I, know, I i get that i will I say that. that the uh, that so i did a, you know obviously a bit, read a bunch of reviews did some research and and they keep the, the word dickensian keeps coming up over and over and over again because there's dying orphans basically like that you know what i mean there's yeah, like it's a really low bar actually <laughs> like that's, it's just just like guys you need more than just an orphanage to be dickensian well the way you know the way i said it to phil before we got on the podcast is dickensian isn't an excuse to not have a structure to your movie yeah. you can't say you can't throw david copperfield into the middle of the movie and say well we're like david copperfield therefore we don't actually have to tell um a compelling narrative um and you know as i said david copperfield was serialized uh as were all dickens novels it was a different time and there was a different way of telling stories i'm personally <laughs> offended by throwing David Copperfield in the middle of this as an excuse for why they can tell this episodic story with no actual um, – w- w- without building up. There's no tension. There's no There's no tension. Propulsion. There's no stakes. There's no propulsion. There's no uh, forward, mov- forward, momentum. forward momentum. There's no um, – characters hardly learn and grow in any real emotional way. It's all the surface shit. Um, it's very, and, and ultimately like it's a very boring narrative they tell. But I mean it's, it's, it's unfortunate that – you know, when Homer leaves and, and so basically Homer is uh, works with him at the orphanage for a little while. Candy and her boyfriend, Wally, played by Paul Rudd, uh, show up. She needs to have an abortion. Polly, uh, Polly, Wally is on. It's a pilot who's on leave from service. Um, and he's like the best. He's the best part of the movie. He, well, he's like the he's, he's like he's. It's he's like, like why would you ever cheat perfect on this guy? Character. Yeah. He chose to run the most dangerous. Uh, yeah. Most dangerous missions in what World War Two in the Pacific? Uh, yeah, I believe it's World War Two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So why? We, yeah. Why would you ever cheat on him? Of course. I mean, <laughs> so she needs to have an abortion. She comes to the to the clinic. She has it. Uh, Homer tells Wally he's exempt from military service because Doctor Large diagnosed him with a heart condition. Um, and Homer decides to leave with Candy and Wally and go work on this uh, on this orchard farm at this cider house. Uh, once he leaves, the movie. First of all, becomes less interesting to a certain extent. So, I was so confused about what happened. Because it, it, it branches off. So at this point, you now have like, you've got your Cider House story, and then you also have the St. Cloud story. But every time you cut back to the St. Cloud story, you're just like, why Why am I here? Like, I don't, what, what, I, I'm just watching Dr. Larch do Ether dance with Kathy Baker and, and <laughs> bury children and make up fucking fake stories about Homer. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, it's, it's just, there's no, 
So they do that a bunch of times. And then when you go back to the cider house place or house whatever. Rules. Rules. You have you have, <laughs> you have just this like and I don't know how to say it other than that it feels creepy. That that Homer's lust for candy feels creepy to me. Um she's way the fuck out of his league. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're just like he just feels like a weird, like impish, creepy guy that's like, hey candy. Want to hang out and pick apples? She's also extremely vulnerable. So that too, her husband's like you know who could be dying at any moment. Let's be real though, Kathy Baker and Jane Alexander are out of his league too. So Uh, accurate, accurate. There's a. (laughs) They're both great, by the way. (laughs) Okay, this is yeah, they're wonderful. Let's let's get into something a little a little a little creepier about this movie because you got there. Okay. This movie is also now about all right. So t- I they, they did this they, they did this thing that you do in a lot with a lot of protagonists in movies um, in these kind of middle brow movies, middle brow wardsy movies, and one that I fucking hate that a lot of people like is Hugo, where um, I like Hugo. I know you like Hugo, where the <laughs> the protagonist has this like has this like um, almost innate love of movies. Where they don't actually like watch movies, they don't have any history. Homer has seen one movie. He's seen <laughs> oh, King God. Kong one time, a or, lot, or several times, a thousand times, whatever. But he's seen one movie, and he loves movies. So immediately, immediately, <laughs> I feel like those characters, especially when no offense to Toby, they look the way Toby does, are standing for the director or the studio executive, or the writer, or the writer, or mm-hmm. any nerd like us. Mm-hmm. Then you, not like us. No, no, no not like not, 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 not these people. Not us. <laughs> Just a nerd. Yeah. And then you cast Charlize Theron as as Roger Ebert called her the girl. This <laughs> reeks of what men think they deserve. What these kind of, what these type of men think they deserve. This is uh, this is Tobey Maguire's character getting to lose his virginity. <laughs> To a South African supermodel. Um, <laughs> this is also we've talked about this a little bit too, but it's very Apatowian too. The idea Apatowian. of of the of the the nerdish, the nerdy kind of you know nebbishy Jewish guy who's just slaying <laughs> these unbelievably it's beautiful shit, women. There's just in 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 the whole like you know the the whole CBS sitcom thing, the Kevin James, the uh, according to James of the World, like. Yeah, obviously, like that's been kind of done to death. How how weird that is, but that's strangely innocuous because it's so absurd, um, and it's so unlike real life. The multicam setup. This is not really meant to be unlike real life. This is played no. straight, absolutely, mm-hmm. um, and that is very creepy to me in its own way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I, I sort of touched on it a little bit earlier, but you know that. That sex scene between Toby and Charlize in the woods was – it just made me very uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable for a bunch of reasons. To your point earlier, Kenny, it felt like someone that was taking advantage of another person. I feel like she is in this emotionally vulnerable place and he's taking advantage of that. It also felt like – I don't know. It just it, – it, it was just awkward. Uh, it, I don't know. There's something about it that felt – just very uncomfortable for me and 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 felt like baked into it was a lot of the things that we were talking about their relationship in this movie just felt um almost like in, like he just happened to be there to a certain extent i, I just i i i don't know Did they think this was gonna be like leo and kate winslet in titanic is that what i don't know because there was the shot also of her backside 
that was very reminiscent oh my God. of the Kate Winslet stuff. Scene. Can I tell you, there's a line. At, he walks into, into the bunk. She's naked on his bed. And he says, I've seen a lot of women. I've seen everything. But when I look at you, it hurts. I've seen everything? Like, as in an examination? That's very bad. Well, yes, he's he's talking very clinically That's and very bad. But yeah, it is. It's also creepy. And, and her oh. response is like, um, "Thanks." Oh, no. She's I like, uh, "Cool." That's 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 yeah. one of the worst lines I've ever heard. I, it didn't it like, terrible. That's everything like, about that uh, moment is awful. The, that's the, the, on the, some fucking. Um, what's that Jeremy Irons movie where he plays the two the twins? Dead Ringer. That's on some Dead Ringer shit. That's some Cronenberg shit. That's some like yeah. That's some like your gynecologist is actually it trying is. to rape you shit. Where he's just like, I've seen it all, but you, you're the oh, goods. That, what a what a gross. <laughs> what a. It's gross also it's also line. shot differently than like the rest of the film, and it has that. Yep. I mean, that gaze to it, both oh, you know, obviously male gaze, but also like a haze of it too, and it has this dreamy music video quality to it, and it's it just. It's, it, it's, it actually speaks to a little bit of what you were saying earlier about uh, who Homer is as a character and who he is as a, as a cipher. Yeah. Because yeah. Is, he's a cipher for the most like basic, low-level, straight white man in the audience. Ever. You know what yeah. that felt like to me? I mean, just to go on this point a little bit. It felt like – all right, because the, the, the most basic straight white man – um, you're talking about are most white men. Well, uh, yes. No, 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 I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to like, like disagree. I'm saying like that. I think that, I think that's most average white men in the audience. Um, and I, th- it almost that with the gaze, or, I mean the, the kind of the, um, the way it's shot and the lushness and the soft focus oh, and Homer's and the lighting and, and oh, Homer's oh POV and the, 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 the look upon her backside um, I, th- it's almost as if Homer is turning to the camera, winking and saying, mm-hmm. can you believe what we've done guys? <laughs> See what mm-hmm. we did? Could you believe what we've, could you, do, do you know what we're, what we're capable of if we try, look at what we can do. And that's, uh, it's so objectifying. It's so creepy. And no one, t- that's not, I mean, I didn't even really. Maybe I'm because I'm a pretty basic straight white man. I didn't think much about it in the moment the way I thought about the other stuff, but that is an extremely creepy aspect. It's it's just their relationship. To, to your point, their romance is supposed to be the beating heart of this movie, right? Yeah. We're, we are supposed to buy these two because if you do, the whole thing works. And I guess some fucking people did. But – if it doesn't, like it doesn't for us, then there's really nothing pulling you through essentially an act, an act and a half of this movie. Because, like I said, there's not a whole lot going on at St. Cloud's while this is while this is happening. And then on top of it, you're introduced to 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 Mr. Rose and, could, and Rose Rose. Rose Rose. And you know, you're you're, <laughs> you're introduced to the Sutter House and their rules and how yeah, how they don't go by them and and all that sort of stuff. Um but like this is supposed to be this is the honeymoon period of this movie. There's um I, I, there are a couple of things that just popped out, but uh from 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 that little 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 thing you just put out there. <laughs> um one of them is is some people buying into this. I'm trying to think of movies where our protagonist 
is either the aggressor or part of an affair, and we are meant to right. be with the affair emotionally, even when the affair doesn't turn into like a, a lasting marriage. And off the top of my head, one movie I thought of was Prince of Tides. And I kind of like the Prince of Tides. Well, I think Prince of Tides works. Yeah. 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 And I think Prince of Tides works. But I think it's my favorite Streisand movie. I haven't seen a lot of her movies, but I mean. Well, I mean, I think Prince of Tides works, but I think a lot of it is because we are very much with Nick Nolte's character. We know how damaged he is. Yeah. Um, we know how lost he is and how lost his marriage is. That's not the case here. Paul Rudd and Charlize Theron don't have a lost, fucked up marriage. No, no. one wronged mm-hmm. anybody here. No. <clears throat> so I can't be with this affair to begin with. The other thing that you kind of brought up uh, not to jump ahead was the whole Cider House Rules thing. Yeah. Talk about the worst reveal in history. <laughs> like it's a, These are the Cider House Rules. It's like the, it, the movie is called the Cider House Rules. The rules are basically don't smoke. Yeah. Um, don't eat on the roof. Don't eat on, don't, don't smoke, don't <laughs> on the roof. It's as, it's as much of a letdown as the movie is. It's the movie in microcosm. Yeah. You know? All right. So that's. Have good manners. But uh, yeah, but to the par- first part, I, I, I couldn't conceive of anybody being with these two people. Uh, during this affair, regardless of who's playing them, I know. I'll, I'll I'll take that even one step further than 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 what you did because, and go with me here for a moment. <laughs> Fatal Attraction is exactly the same in that sense because we are meant to align ourselves with uh, Michael Douglas and sympathize with Michael Douglas. And that is a really, really insane, crazy conceit. Mm-hmm. But it is that's it. It, it is what it is. Their their it's marriage true. is fine. He just wants to have an affair, and it's the the other woman that is the the villain and the evil. And he is still in the right when he is most in the wrong. That's true. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. And yeah, I'm trying to unpack why I still think that movie works. Um. I I I like the movie, but it is it's fucked. Um, a hugely misogynistic piece yeah, of shit. It's fucked. Yeah, it's it's yeah. It, I mean, what saves it is I mean, Glenn Close. I mean, yeah. her her performance. And I mean, Michael Douglas is fine in it. I mean, but she's I mean, she's next level. She probably she probably should have won. Truthfully, uh, I I think maybe Satterhouse Rules could have used a little more bunny boiling or something to just kind of up oh the God. ante. Anything? I mean, do you know what they think that is though? Is what we're about to get to, which is incest. <laughs> That's what I always call incest. <laughs> boiling the bunny. Boy- <laughs> Whenever you pitch it in the room, yeah. It's yeah. So they boil the bunny. <laughs> but I mean, so we find out at this point that Arthur Rose, played by Delroy Lindo, is having sex with his daughter, uh, and he has uh, impregnated her. And now we have a scene, but, that, but he but he did all this with quiet he, dignity because he loves her, right? <laughs> quiet, quiet dignity because he loves her. There's so now you have Homer confronting Mister Rose about having sex with his daughter. Oh, I, I, I truly, I this is where this movie goes from. Like, I really don't like this movie. This is a fucked up movie. To act, I actively hate this part. It's well because. It's, yeah, it, it's a horrible scene. It's a horrible scene. It's a scene that no one should have to write, first of all. Like, as a writer, I'm watching this thinking, there's no way to write this scene. Don't write it. Don't, like, it's <laughs> it's crazy to me. Don't write a scene of a guy going, so, you having sex with your daughter? And him being like, yeah, but. There's no, yeah, but. There's no, like, it doesn't, it's just, it's it's fucking crazy. 
And they try to do it in a way like this movie does, where they shoot it in the lushness of this orchard and it's all bright and it's, it's and it's Toby just being all shucks about it. And you're like, it's you think this is fine? Delroy Lindo's response. Delroy Lindo, I fucking love. Oh, of course. I um, love him. And Delroy Lindo's response is basically like, well shit, you found me out. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I knew I couldn't I knew I couldn't keep it going forever. It's just crazy. <laughs> But but he's saving the cider from cigarette butts. Yeah, I know. He's a good guy. Uh, so, so uh, <laughs> yes, I know the, then Homer I mean, agrees to, to to give Rose an abortion with uh, with Arthur's help. Um, Rose flees. She stabs him, and again, kind of a weird thing to me for us not to see that interaction. That it's all backfilled. That it's post stabbing. Delroy Lindo laying in a bed talking about how much he loves his daughter and that she stabbed him and that he kind of stabbed himself to like deal with the wound or some shit. Be- because that- not one moment of this movie <sighs> is told from the perspective of a person who is actually getting an abortion. Oh, or a person of color. Or a person. Well, I, th- I would say, and this is kind of like another reason I think this is almost weirdly Trumpian. The only person, the only person of color in this movie that the movie even begins to give an interior life to is Delroy Lindo. But it's kind of reminds me of like how Trump doesn't respect any single minority until they're evil. Right? <laughs> right. So he's just like, well, basically he has nothing nice to say about any ups, any, any reasonable, not for, forget like any reasonable person of color, but Don King is like his man. Yeah. Like Don King, like a murderer is his, is like his 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 boy. Yeah. It's like the beacon of like, you know, black success in America to him. Um, and it's, it's this weird thing that like, God, it's this weird thing that like people do where now Delroy Lindo, who has raped his daughter, that, that, that guy's now a man. Yeah. That guy's, that guy's in the club, you know? It's the strangest scene. This movie is, I mean, the mishandling of, of the incest storyline, I think is significantly worse than its mishandling of abortion. And it really mishandles abortion. So either way, Arthur dies, says when they find me, say it was suicide. And if I was home, it would have been like a no, I I, I won't be doing that. But anyway, uh, Wally returns. So let me, let me ask this of of you guys, um, because this is, uh, a, a book with with so many heady heady topics but yeah. when you're reading a book you have much more time uh to ingest it and process you know it, there's yeah. and process it and it's and it, things happen over uh, a much longer period of time when you have a, a two-hour film and you have abortion and incest as your two main subjects the the amount of time that can be given to, to those subjects is is shorted and you you it's it's going to feel like that um do you think that maybe that, that there was there could have been more to this had it been like a mini series that was allowed to breathe it's really funny you should bring that up because i you know as i mentioned earlier i i'm a big fan of of a handful of of john irving's books and one in particular um a son of the circus is one of my favorites of his um, his books are notoriously very dense and long. They, they, you know, they're usually anywhere from five to seven, maybe eight hundred pages. They're they're pretty long books, um, mm-hmm. and uh, they're they're just not to your point easy to make into a movie. Uh, 
Um, yeah. you have to, you have to streamline them and you have to get them down to essentially plot and bare bones. And that's not necessarily John Irving's strong suit. Like his books are not stories. He doesn't tell great stories. He paints great worlds and fills them with interesting characters. And when you whittle him down to just moves, it's not great moves and ideas is essentially what this movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what all there's movies no, are. There's no nuance. Exactly. It's not every. I mean, that's not what all movies are. But that—that's yeah. your classic studio structure. Yes. Um, and you need you need narrative moves. Um, I think this would have been better served in a miniseries to some extent sure. because it's episodic. It's naturally episodic. I, I think, think his books been, in general would would do better as miniseries. I think they'd be so boring. Like sharper, sharper, <laughs> sharp objects, sharp objects, which had like. Two big moments. Well, that shouldn't have been a miniseries. It that should, should have been, been a movie. movie. And right. you know what I mean. And yeah. and I think that I and something Star like uh, you loved it as the miniseries. Oh, uh, so much. I really liked it. I just I do think that it didn't necessarily have enough story to get us through the episodes. Is it? But then you look at something like The Goldfinch, which is being adapted into a movie and it's coming out later this year, mm-hmm. and you're just like that begs to be a miniseries. I mean, these mm. books, you know, we, we've been given a gift as 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 uh, as writers right now, which is that. You can now finally get to adapt those books, those Cavalier clays, those whatevers, those really big, meaty books that just can't cleanly be whittled down to two hours. So, like, let's do that. And this is, I don't know if this is necessarily a great example of it, but I do think that Irving as an author is an example of it. it, It's an interesting conversation because, you know, I I sometimes think choice is, not in terms of abortion, I sometimes think choice is a bad thing. Um, And... I think, and I think. I'm glad you specified. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, in, in the context yeah, of this conversation, sure. it was a good to. clarification. Yeah. But, um, but I think that having these two roads, uh, sharp objects being a, a really good example, I think will people will sometimes pick the wrong path. Um, Absolutely, will often pick the wrong path. Now that it's it's such a viable medium, the the miniseries. So I, I don't I mean, know. Yeah. I, I like a Cavalier and Clay movie. Which has I, been attempted on. I think many it could be done. Times. I think you throw two and a half hours at that, and I think I mean I, you know like I've seen the fucking Godfather. Like I know that like that you can do this stuff if everybody's going in the same direction. I, I I don't disagree with you. I'm sure that someone maybe will try, but personally speaking, for me, I'd rather even see a two part. TV movie. I'd rather see like a four hour or a four and a half hour mm-hmm. Cavalier and Clay than see things that I love, like the World's Fair get cut out of it, or you know him going to Alaska getting cut out of it. Like there's just all sorts of things, or Antarctica, or wherever he goes to. I don't know. Somewhere very cold. But like I don't want Chicago to see that stuff get stripped because the scope of it just gets shrunk. And that's a specific example. But either way. Um, I do think that, to answer your point, Eric, that this film suffers from trying to do everything. And mm-hmm. Irving adapting his own work seemed very intent on making sure that he hit the ideas he wanted to hit in the book and didn't care that if you do it, if you don't do it gracefully, you're, you're doing a disservice to the adaptation. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, either way... Wally returns from Burma. He's a paraplegic. Uh, Candy decides. <laughs> Maybe not my most graceful transition. Wow. Um, but uh, Candy decides to stay with him. Homer goes back good. to uh, to St. Cloud after they hear that Dr. Larch died of an accidental ether overdose. Inevitable. 
as you do. And uh, he finds out that he doesn't have a heart condition, that it was that it was Fuzzy's heart all along. That was crazy. Fucked up. Yeah. Can you imagine living half your life thinking that you had a heart condition? That's, I mean, it's, dude, I mean, that's, that's what Sharp Objects is about. Oh, sharp yeah. things, yeah. sharp objects. Sharp objects. That's a sharp object. Sharper image. It's sharper image. That, it's that, <laughs> oh my God. It's that, <laughs> that's, that's, it's the same idea. Except yes. in this movie, in, in, in Sharp Objects, it's rightfully portrayed as one of the worst things you could do as a parent. Mm-hmm. In this movie, it's like, God, he was so sweet. He kept him out of the war. He, he couldn't imagine. <laughs> he, he couldn't imagine losing his surrogate son. It was the one thing. It's so dastardly to tell it's, someone they have a fucked. heart condition. Yeah, but everything that Larch does to Homer is fucked. If you ask me, he forces his ideologies on this kid. He yeah, essentially that's not so twi- bad. spoken <laughs> as a true parent. Uh, Spoken as a parent who, yeah. who currently has who currently has one Jewish child who believes in Jesus as the savior. So well, I'm still working on it. But. Point is, I think Uh-oh. that there's some manipulation going on that I don't think is particularly healthy. I think that Homer that 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 Wilbur is trying to get Homer to come back and is is essentially manipulating this kid into coming back into into servitude at this as you said this really sad place that he clearly didn't want to be. He wanted to go see the world. He goes and sees the world. He has sex with. A, a supermodel and then he's like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna go shack up with a child at the fucking (laughs) orphanage (laughs) (laughs) that was the lesson he took from dora lindo he's like there's nothing more dignified (laughs) than screwing a child so uh eric what we do here on this show hold on before i wanted to ask okay i I, I felt like i wanted oh eric i wanted to ask you this why did michael Caine win well, oh, hold, hold I, on, hold that phone. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Hold, hold the pause button. Podcast. Oh, that's we're gonna, part we're gonna, two question. We're gonna, yes, we're going to do the rating uh, right now. In the business, I call that a tease. We're going to do the rating, and then and then we'll do that. So, uh, what we do on this on this podcast, Eric, is we okay. we rate the film what we thought of it in 1999, uh, from zero to 99. 99 being the highest, zero being the lowest. Then we do a ranking what we thought of this film prior to this podcast, and then we do a ranking after, as though potentially the podcast changed our opinions. Um, okay. So I'll go first, and Kenny, and then and then you can follow follow suit. In '99, I probably would have given this film a 65. Um, I, you know, I thought it was I thought it was fine. I thought it was innocuous. I didn't think much of it. Uh, I forgot it even existed. Um, I was bummed that it took up a slot of best picture and, and all of its nominations. But I, I'll be lying if I said I wasn't kind of happy to see John Irving win because I like his work. But this obviously, hindsight being what it is, he shouldn't have won. Um, before the podcast, I'd give this one a 39. Um, I can't in good conscience recommend anybody watch this film. I, I think this film is a waste of a slot. Kenny and I have done 65 movies at this point, And I could probably name... 40 that should have been the fifth nominee for best picture including deuce bigelow <laughs> and dudley do right over this <laughs> well, film dudley do right you're like an 88 um <laughs> i would say you know post podcast i'd probably even put it down lower i'd probably put, put it at 35 or 34 um you know i don't think it's i, I think that the I, I think the cast is all pretty solid short of toby i think michael kane's fine he shouldn't have won in my opinion uh charlize is we'll get eric's opinion on that in the next episode in the next episode um but yeah so that's where i'm at where are you at on this kenny uh i in 99 oh in 99 i did see it in 99 i i think i thought it was bad not terrible but not for the reasons i think it's bad now uh i think i thought it was boring and inconsequential um probably would have been around 45 okay 
I gave this a 33 before uh, this podcast, which is pretty bad, pretty low. Um, the reason it wasn't lower is almost entirely because of the score, the way it was shot, yeah. um, and the, kind of the overall feeling it got, the overall feeling it gave me of um, not wanting to murder everybody involved. I kind of have that feeling now. So uh, I'm going to go a little lower, not much lower. I think it's at 28 now, which I think is is a, a condemnation in its own right. I think we're around there. We're, we're pretty yes. close on that. Right, Eric, what about you? What about you? Okay, so so I'm giving it three scores when, when I saw it 99 yeah. before the podcast and now. Okay. Correct. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I saw it in 99, and that was, like I said, my favorite year of film. So, and I hated it then <laughs> just, just as much uh, for every reason from just the movie being what it is to the, the, the films that it uh, replaced at the Oscars. So I would probably have it in the thirties, like low thirties, let's just say 30 uh, from 99 rewatching it again last week uh, made me dislike it even more because I really felt the, the presentation and, and the music were wonderful, but they were trying to really kind of trick you into this like safe mode over yeah. what its subject matter was. So it just made me kind of dislike it even more. So I would drop that down to like 25 and now talking about it, you know, is just making me kind of super skeeved out. So <laughs> <laughs> That's what we try to do on this podcast. Skeeve you out. Yeah. And it also just reignited my hatred of Toby Maguire. Um, so probably looking at it now and from my lens of now, uh, I, I think it is a astonishingly dangerous movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, I would probably drop it to like 15. I wish I they put that on the poster. That's the best. An yeah. astonishingly dangerous movie. People might People be like, like oh, shit. It, they're like, oh, my God, it's an action movie. All right. <laughs> astonishingly dangering is the perfect encapsulation of this movie. It is. I completely I agree. fucking agree with that assessment. I couldn't agree uh, more. I would say some movies this year are mm-hmm. astonishingly astonishingly dangerous movies. Yeah. I think we, Bohemian Rhapsody couple, couple, is an yeah. – oh, no, I'm not talking about 99. Oh, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about 2000. 18. Yeah. I think Bohemian Rhapsody is an astonishingly dangerous movie. And I think Green Book might be an astonishingly dangerous I agree. Movie. Well, this feels like a good place to, to, to break. Just to give you a heads up, we're going to talk for, I don't know, five, maybe 10 minutes just on uh, Best Picture uh, 2018. Okay. And talk about the predictions on that. And then we'll wrap up this part. We'll, and then in part two, we'll just talk 1999 Oscars. Okay. Is that cool? Yep. What I think we're going to do is uh, we're going to focus on uh, best picture this year and just sort of talk about um, the nominees and who we predict might potentially win as a as a pre as a sort of a to remind people: Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star Is Born, and Vice. So, I've been kind of wavering in terms of what I think is going to win. Um. I, I keep feeling like if Roma was released by any studio, it would be the front runner. But I'm just not convinced that this industry wants to give Netflix a best picture win. What a bunch of babies. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I mean, yes, in the sense that 
you know, they fear change and they're not sure what it's going to mean for the business and all of that. Um, but then I also have to say, like, no, as a purist, I have to say that, you know, I, I like movies getting released in theaters. And yes, I got to see Rome on the big screen, but a lot of people didn't get to. Um, and that's disappointing for the for the film lover in me. Sure. No, so, of, of course, you're you're right in that respect. But also, <laughs> give the move, give the reluctantly, award. Reluctantly, no, me but, that. but of course, like yeah. I, I get that. But also, <laughs> give the award to the best movie. Sure. Um, which is the favorite? Is that? But what's your answer? That's my favorite. Is the favorite? But I, I'm not want, saying it's going to win. I, I want Eric to go last because he has the right answer. So I want uh -oh. us to. I I think that if I was to pick one right now to say to win Best Picture, my gut says Roma. I would pick Roma too. Um, largely, largely because of the amount of nominations it got, um, the momentum I feel behind it, and kind of by default, um, and also the Quaron aspect of it. These uh, these guys. <laughs> speaking of the three Mexican directors. <laughs> who like kind of burst on the scene about 10 years ago at the same time, just don't lose anymore. Mm -hmm. So um, I do think that's to some extent uh, that's going to carry Roma through just looking at these nomination nominees. Um, I said, there are six that I think are, are in the conversation. I think black Panther and Bohemian Rhapsody are not, I can't really see vice winning. Um, and I can't really see the favorite winning either. So I think it's kind of between Black Klansman, Green Book, Roma, and A Star is Born. And the only one I could really see winning without the world exploding is Roma. And if Green Book wins, which I think is probably the second most likely, the world will explode and that'll just be the end of it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, also, <laughs> I also feel like, I mean, listen, there's obviously there's a million ways of looking at this. Um I, I could also see some weird alternate universe where a star is born wins a bunch where me too, where, you know, the guilds are the guilds and this nomination process being what it is. And, and Eric, um, you know, on, in part two, I'd love for us to talk a little bit about like how the evolution of the voting has changed cool. a little bit and campaigning and campaigning yeah. and all of that. Um, so, so there's that, but I could see a world where a star is born just kind of wins a bunch and surprises everybody and it's and it's the safe it's the it's the one that like won't upset anybody and Quaron so still takes you. no i mean I, I like the first hour of it um uh you know and Quaron takes best director and you know they they you know olivia coleman wins best actress and like it just kind of they spread the wealth a little bit and they give a stars born best picture and something like that i could see that maybe happening it seems unlikely but it's possible what do you think eric um i i think that's extremely unlikely actually <laughs> <laughs> um i i think a star is born is is toast basically uh in terms of wins it's it'll win for song and i think that's it's only chance the director snub and editing snub is just too it's That's too true. much the editing really right. i didn't think about editing yeah um i think there's only three films that are in real contention and it's roma black Klansman, and green book um only green book and roma have really won anything substantial black panther's sag win is great but it 
it's that's not enough to propel it to to best picture at all it has no above the line nominations um so it's it it a, a win for it would be really really bizarre yeah but you know every every year again is its own animal um i am i i think roma can win i think it will win uh, there is very obviously a uh, a turning point and a paradigm shift uh, if it happens, though, because talk about a, a movie that has to overcome obstacles. Yeah, uh, it's it, there's there's so many, and it would have to do all of them. No foreign language film has ever won Best Picture. Uh, no s- streaming film has won Best Picture. Um, it's also missing an, an editing nomination. It's not as crazy crucial as it used to be, but it's, you know, it's still a big deal. It's still something that you have to look at. Um, but ultimately it will be the, the preferential ballot that decides all of this. Um, so what's the, what to you is the, the, the one that like you'd be the least surprised wins, but would also be surprised. Like what's your dark horse? What's the one that you're like, because for oh. me, it's, it feels like it's Black Klansman. Yeah, Black Klansman, is, which is my number two. And I did have it uh, as the winner like all through summer. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, when wow. I, I, do, I do my like first predictions in, oh, in March, I'm, like right after. I'm well aware of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I just, I, I, don't remember, I don't remember that. But no, I'm, I am with you from March. I am with you from basically the day after the Oscars. Yeah, it's well. There's already stuff to go on, you know, Sundance and everything. Um, but yeah, so it's it's can premiere and win there was like okay, cool. This is really you know positioning it itself really well. The August uh, date was a little troublesome. Yeah, you know, I understood the reason why, and they wanted to hit the anniversary of Charlottesville, and it made, made perfect sense to do that. Uh, but that meant you know it had no other festivals that it was going to hit. You know, no Telluride, nothing at all. Uh, so that was going to be a little, a little more difficult. But it was, you know, it made fifty million dollars. That was, that is a, a successful enough for yeah. modern era of best picture, uh, which is right around that number. Uh, it represents, you know, embracing Spike Lee after denying him before. His honorary Oscar in 2015, I think, actually works against him a little bit. It's it's not as easy to win a competitive Oscar after you've won an honorary. But yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I, do, I do think if there's a split, that it would be Black Klansman for picture and and Quaron for director. I can, I can see that. My my feeling, just kind of in general, this does kind of feel a little bit like last year to me. Um, it feels a lot like last year to me, actually, where you have Shape of Water and Roma are not very similar movies, but they are both directed by, you know, kind of that Mexican triumvirate. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do kind of, you know, they, they feel like these unusual front runners. You have, uh, I, I personally was more offended by Three Billboards than I was by Green Book. Um, I really hated that movie, but you had this r- extremely problematic Golden Globe uh the Golden Globe benighted movie kind of as the stalking horse. And then you have the hopeful, the, 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 the hope picture, which t- was get out this year and, and black lands in this year, let 
but get yeah. out last year, Black Council this year, which, and I, I'm using hope in, in terms of like, I hope those, I hoped get out would win. It's the kind of movie that I want to, to see more of. It's the kind of filmmaker I'm excited by. That's the, that, that's, that's why I do this. Black Klansman the same way, right? Black Klansman's the same thing. One of my all time favorite filmmakers, um, recapturing his fastball in his mid fifties is exciting to me, but it just feels like that's just not the way these narratives go. I also, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about this in more, in more depth in in part two, but you know, I don't think that focus is all that great at Oscar campaigns. Um, you know, I think that they, they're, they're good, they're competent, but I always feel like they're just, there's a lack of like getting people really, really excited about their movies. And I don't know if you agree or not, Eric. I, I would disagree, but go okay. ahead, please. I mean, I think that, I, I, the, the, the people that, I mean, I think that Fox Searchlight is, is, is obviously very good at it. I think A24 is, seems to be getting its, uh, its sea legs on this and Aperna as well. I think that these places are sort of following in Miramax's footsteps in a lot of ways in terms of how to market movies or how to Oscar campaign for movies that are uh, a little bit more challenging. Um, and I just feel like focus just, I don't know. They just, they, there's, there's something, there's, there's a lack of teeth in the way that they, got behind this movie i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm being uh unfair i i think focus is is actually really really good at this but they are better when they don't have to spread the wealth about what they're going to push and how they're going to push things right um dallas buyers club theory of everything uh are are huge oscar winning films both you know got into best picture dallas buyers club got a, a sad cast nomination. So did theory of everything. Very that's true. crazy. And that's just about getting screeners out. That is 100% period. End of sentence screeners in hands. Um, <laughs> we did and, get black Klansman pretty early. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, it was, and it was released earlier. So, but focus had so many movies they had this they had boy erased they had on the basis of sex they had mary queen of scots they kept moving the dates around of the last two Hmm. they didn't really know how they were going to play it and ultimately this sort of played a little bit like like last year for focus who also had a lot of things but then you know they got darkest hour in and that acting and makeup win they got phantom thread in on this of their yeah, on the skin of their teeth because well, it had been ignored everywhere else. But the, the Darkest it, Hour nomination was even more of a shock to me at the time. That felt like that that had fallen completely off everyone's radar. Even Gary Oldman didn't. I didn't even think he was going to win until maybe like a month before the oh, award. Oh gosh, no, no, no. He was. He no. was. He had it. I he don't had know. It he I, was. I, he was. He was locked in March when the first picture of I him was just going to say. Yeah, I, I know that was that was it. And I never changed the you whole year. Never looked back. Eric never looked nope. back after he saw that. It was right. it was like it was like the uh, like the Anne Jamie Hathaway Fox. or yeah, or Anne Hathaway uh, and uh, Les Mis. Yeah, Ugh. and that was that was another thing where the 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 mere announcement of of the cast like defined that win because of based on the character, just like cats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I can't wait. Just, just, just throwing some Hooper out there for me. Yeah. 
Um, I'll, I'll stick with the Kimmy Schmidt version of Cats, but anyway. Well, this feels like a good a good chance for us to, so to wrap this to up. Fucking talk we're, about we got this. A, we got a lot to talk about. All we're right. going to talk about it on the other side. Um, but this feels like a good opportunity for us to wrap up part one. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, I'm at PM Iscove on Twitter and Instagram. Kenny is at Nybart on Twitter. Uh, what are what's your handle, Eric? On Twitter, it's at awards underscore watch, and then just awards watch on Instagram. I'm so upset that we can't talk more about the 2018 awards. Well, I mean, we, time, we, we can, but like... No, we, we can't, because by the time we come back next week, they will have been announced, and the favorite will have swept the Oscars. From your lips, man, because it's the best movie of 2018. Vice will have swept the Oscars, and um, <laughs> um, Beale Street will have swept the Oscars with a write-in campaign, and, and who knows what... but. But for Eric, uh, thanks so much. Well, mm-hmm, Eric's thank so you. he's not going anywhere. Yeah, uh, but he's coming. He's, you're well, gonna, for, you guys are going to oh, hear him yeah, next week for but, the audience. Uh, but he is stick around. Week, but this is awesome. Um, and next week we will continue uh, talking with Eric specifically about the 1999 Oscars and Oscars in general. And uh, please tune in then. It'll be great. Thanks. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.